I am just a really bubbly and positive okay. person. Okay. I do really genuinely love talking to people. And when I'm passionate, I will talk your ear off about anything. Yet I was missing that in-person community and really searching for community in other spaces. And then the more I shared my work, it was so humbling that it was well-received, that people enjoyed what I was making. There's that positive feedback. I wanted to make more. I wanted to do more things. And then suddenly it felt possible. I am in the house with Anna Margaret. Anna Margaret, how are you? Hello, I'm doing great. I'm a little tired, uh, but otherwise awesome. <laughs> What's been going on? Just, I guess you're still winding down from Minneapolis and also getting ready for the next one, whatever that is. I feel like summer is just when conventions really start popping off. And so from sweet, like spring to summer, I have to become really good at exercising, like saying no to things, which I'm not good at. And so I end up just say yes to a bunch of things, which ends up being really fun. But I, I think that it is very tiring too. And so um, I, until I said no to some things, I think I had a con that I was either talking to or booked for every week for May, June, and July. And I was like, no, we can't do that. But lots of fun things planned. But yes, very time consuming. <laughs> how do you figure out how to set boundaries for yourself? Um, I wish I had a great answer. Honestly, I think it's really important to to have boundaries and I'm good at helping other people having boundaries for their time. But I, I think I've just always been a people pleaser. And so when it comes to setting boundaries for myself, I think that's one of the hardest parts of being self-employed. I sometimes joke that like I left my full-time job to work all the time. And so I think that that's something that I've been trying to work on. And I think that prioritizing my family helps me do that. I find it a lot easier to be like, oh, I have a family obligation, even if that is just staying home. And so to some extent, we joke that I use my family to get out of things. But I do think that really being able to like prioritize other people has helped me do a better job of prioritizing my own time. I think part of being people pleasing is there's an aspect of selflessness. So is that something that you've always had within you? I don't know. I think that I think that when you have a big family, that it can become almost second nature to want everyone else to be happy in the family. Like I'm very close to my older sister. She's three years older, but I also have two younger siblings that are much younger than me. My youngest brother is 14 years younger than me. And so I think I've always had the opportunity to look outside myself for, at the needs of others. And I think in a lot of ways that's helped me in different hats that I've had in different roles I've had in my life. Like as a teacher and as a mom, I think being able to like recognize what other people need and fulfill that can be really rewarding. And I think it's something that I really enjoy and I'm pretty good at. I think that there's definitely a line. And as I've gotten older, I've been more able to recognize when I'm letting people cross my lines and I've been able to maybe respond to that more but I definitely think that it's both like something I'm good at and something that maybe hints towards things I'm not good at <laughs> things like saying no and setting boundaries or negotiating and those sorts of things where you need to actually like 
you know, when money gets involved in content creation, it's always that line of like, oh no, I need to actually like set boundaries and do things for myself too. And so I think, I think that it's something I'm good at and something I'm not good at. Right away, I'll just get into it. I want to ask you, <laughs> who is Anna Margaret as a creator? Maybe we'll start with that. Ooh, okay. This is an interesting question because I have heard online a lot that oftentimes when you become a creator online, you adopt like a persona or there's a portion of yourself that you project more that's like larger. And I... I think what's really interesting is I resisted social media for a long time. And I actually started with my, quote, persona of Anna Margaret in person as a character actress. I was working as a high school teacher, teaching physics, chemistry, and computer science. And my husband was still in school getting his doctorate. And so I needed a second job. And so the second job I got was as a party princess. And so most evenings and every weekend, I'd be any different princess or character. And so I, I found that I loved it. I loved doing birthday parties. I loved doing corporate events. But interestingly, that persona is kind of was developed in person with people. And so then when I finally started sharing stuff online, mostly when the pandemic hit, it didn't feel like I was adopting an internet persona. It felt like I was just sharing this part of me online. Although I have had lots of people come up to me and be like, oh my gosh, you're so much more friendly in person than like we thought online. Really? So I, what, I don't- what, what did they I, think online? I'm not sure. I thought, I was like, wow, I felt like I was fully putting myself online. That's interesting. But I, I wonder too, if that's because so much of my content being cosplay photos are still images where when I'm portraying a character, I may be just showing a, I don't know, an intense pose or a pose or a picture. And I do think that as I've moved towards having more video content, I've been able to be maybe a little bit more authentic and showcase more of myself online. And so I, I do come sometimes wonder, like, is Anna Margaret, like, a, is it a separate persona? Although I found that I don't feel like I'm slipping into a role when I'm at conventions. And so I think for now, at least I found that balance of both authentically sharing myself online while still maintaining like a positive presence. Obviously everybody feels negative emotions, but I try in general to, to share a, a positive side of myself. And so I think, I think for the most part, I am Anna Margaret. I think it helps that it is my name. And so I, it does feel like me, but that is something that kind of keeps you up at night. You wonder like, are people, do they like me? Or do they like this idea of me that I've cultivated somehow through my art? And so I, 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 I'm not sure. I do think that everybody has the ability. Well, and this is weird. I think that people will form an image of you in their head. Everybody does, whether it's through online content or personal interaction. And that image they have of you in their, in their head will never be exactly who you are. It's, you know, you become who you're with and you say what you're doing. And to some extent, you can't control that image that people have of you. And I think that is the scariest part of trying to authentically share yourself online because you ultimately can't control how people receive it and then what they think of you. So I think I'm sharing me online, but who knows what anyone else thinks. I think that's true online, but also true offline. I also feel like Let's just say there's a face-to-face -face interaction and I meet you on the street. I also have a, an impression of who you are. That's probably not who you are, right? It's just, mm. it's just the nature of um, 
it's just human nature. It's just human nature that we, we um, project ourselves or project something onto others. I, I've certainly made this mistake many times in the past. Oh, yeah. And, and internet just turns it up to 11. I think that's just, it's not like, I often feel like people have this idea that the internet is enabling like new problems or new benefits. But I fact, in fact, I feel like it's just kind of, I don't know, accelerating or um, magnifying some things that are already happening in the real world, if you know what I mean. like No, it's, I it's... do. I feel like it's, you know, the internet is such an echo chamber for amplifying all sorts of ideas. And so these these situations that already exist are suddenly then under, held under a microscope and seen by millions of people. You know, whereas maybe that personal interaction on the street was just between you and one other person. Now suddenly they're spectators also viewing the situation. Because I guess, I guess I'm wondering, you come across as very like positive and joyful, even in the few minutes that we're doing this. And when I watch your videos, you're also very, for lack of a better word, bubbly and very happy. And I'm just wondering, is that who you are all the time? Do you like turn it up to 11 because it's, it's content or... How, how do you how do you process that? I am just a really bubbly and positive okay. person. Okay. My family jokes that I could hold a conversation with a brick wall, and I I I have had. I'm, the, I'm and, that and I hope person. you're not offended by what <laughs> no, I'm saying. I'm just I'm just generally question. wanting to know. Yeah, it's a good question. I am that person that frequently shares life stories with random strangers on the airplane. So I I I do. I do really genuinely love talking to people. And when I'm passionate, I will talk your ear off about anything. Uh, heaven forbid you mentioned Star Trek to me at a random social gathering. Cause like, okay, there we go. Like, I guess we're talking about Star Trek. I do think though <laughs> that, um, I do think that there's periods of time where I, I like everybody in more positive or maybe my social inner my social battery runs out. I I joke that I'm a bit of like an ambivert. I don't know, like a not an introvert, but not like fully an extrovert because I'm very extroverted. But that like when my social battery runs out, then it's suddenly like okay, I need time by myself, and then I think I'm more quiet. Um, I think about like my time as a teacher or my time doing other things, and I. I, I think I have I brought the same energy to everything. In general, I am really happy and I'm really positive. And I think that that also kind of then puts like a staccato or an emphasis on the periods of my life where I haven't felt happy. And I know I've, I'm very blessed that in general I am very happy, but I know that I, I had two kids and I had very, very complicated pregnancies and births. I got preeclampsia both times. Much worse than my first, I almost died. But I do know that then postpartum depression and anxiety really hit me hard, like harder than I think I ever anticipated. And it wasn't even really until I started feeling better that I noticed how bad I had been feeling. And so I think that there are periods of my life where I felt not that way. But looking over like the 29 years I've been alive, I, I have always been just a really peppy person. I think that's why I got like the most energy on the cheer team award or my robotics team always won the like spirit award. <laughs> I'm just, a, I don't know if I'm happy or I'm interested in something, that's all I can think about. I'm just happy. That's, that's, that's great. And uh, maybe we'll get into that. Like what, what was it like? Um, you have a science background, right? So, mm. 
so how how did that come about because is it is a science like run in the family is, how, like is there some sort of parental or family influence there like how, how did it all start I think that I was definitely influenced by my family. And I know that the reason I went into physics is because of my family. And so um, I'm actually, I'm, I think I've told you, but I'm a third generation physicist. And so my great uncle played a big hand in raising my dad. And he was a physicist, he did nuclear physics. And that inspired my dad to be a physicist. My dad's way smarter than me. He has an equation named after him. He found the mass of the Milky Way. My dad's crazy cool. But I know that he also was the most devoted father. Um, he would leave work during his lunch break to come coach my chess team. I wanted a robotics team. And so my dad stepped in to help as much as he could with robotics. I was interested in what he was doing and he would meticulously walk me through how to open the dome of the observatory, how I let me control the telescope. I got to sit in on so many of his classes all growing up and he was so patient with helping me every step of the way. And so when I was at that pivotal you know, place in high school, I had been the CEO or basically the president of my robotics team. I was had the opportunity to start younger teams. Like I was really into robotics, but I also really wanted to make it on Broadway. And I was very blessed that my parents were like, yeah, sure, you do your thing. And ultimately a scholarship is what sent me on the road towards science over attempting Broadway. But I still love to do music and I still... I think that's always will always still be a part of my life. And so I decided to go into physics and then I did. That's what I did. <laughs> I think I, I have been involved with robotics since I was like 11. I've always loved math. I was on the math team in like high school and college. And so I, I do think it's kind of funny. Most people who meet me now would never expect that of me. And so when I um, built my mechanical wings for my last angel cosplay, people were very shocked to learn that like, no, I've been building robots and stuff since I was a child. Like I've started like robotics teams. Like yeah. I know what I'm doing. Like I know it doesn't look like it, but that's what I knew how to do. <laughs> it's, it's other things I'm still learning. Like that's something I do know. Is it fair to say that you've been consistently an overachiever like through your younger years and high school? I mean, you're like the captain, you're on the chess team. You mentioned that as well. Like there's just, uh, you're, you're, I feel like you would have been a really cool person in high school if I had met you because you're not only extremely intelligent, but also you're into a lot of social stuff. Like you're, you said you're, you're cheering or you're like doing all kinds of things. So were you just the, like the overachieving, like everybody's jealous of you kind of person in high school? I, I collected hobbies, but I think collected that I, I collected hobbies and activities. I, I think I'm really lucky that the people I surrounded myself with in high school were just really supportive, nice people. Like I felt like I had friends everywhere in high school. And obviously there's people that there's going to be people who don't like you, but I think I was very lucky, especially since I transferred high schools partway through my junior year because my father was in the military. And um, I also spent a lot of time taking classes at a college while I was in high school. So I wasn't even at school most of the time. So I, I feel very lucky that the friends I made in high school were just so genuinely nice and were on board. And I, um, 
I definitely did way too many hobbies all through high school. <laughs> um, I guess an overachiever is one way to put it. Um, chronically busy is probably how other people would have would have stated it. I know. Um... I feel like such an ass right now. I feel like <laughs> I'm just coming on right now and just asking you all these questions. And I and by the way, I, I really want to clarify. It's really not coming from a kind of uh, negative angle. I sometimes I just I just blurt questions out, and it's just. No. It's, I hope you don't intend. There's no malice intended with these. No, questions. I think I, it's great. I think it's really interesting because, like, I, I think that if I had picked one activity, I would have been better at it. I often think about that. Like, I've played piano since I was four, but I also play seven other instruments. And so while wow. I am I am quite good at piano, I've won national competitions. I am not great. I could be better if I had not decided that I also wanted to play the flute. <laughs> Sorry, it's my two-year-old. I told you it might happen. No, no problem. I love you, buddy. I think I would have been a lot better at piano if I hadn't actually like decided I wanted to play the flute, but then also the piccolo and the alto flute. And I wanted to be in the jazz band, so I had to learn a different instrument for that. And then I also wanted to play violin in the orchestra. And then I played accordion all through, in a band all through college. Like, I think I wasn't like, I wasn't interested in just playing one thing. And it was kind of the same way with like every other activity. Like I've done ballet since I was two. I still dance, but I would have been a lot better if I didn't also decide that I wanted to dance swing dancing competitively and tango and like do musical theater and then try cheerleading. So I started gymnastics, you know, like, I mean, I wasn't good at just picking one thing. I think I've always wanted to try everything, which is good and bad. You know, you're kind of a jack of all trades, master of none, but I had a lot of fun you, and I got to do a you, lot of things. That, that's, that's, that's uniquely gifted. Like that makes you uniquely gifted to be a creator, I, which is, I know also just one aspect of your life, obviously, but, but I think being a creator or an influencer or whatever you want to call it, it's just like, it's just a different skills coming together. Right. And especially cosplay. I, I think like, it's yeah, just, yeah. it's just, it's just like, you have to, be good at a whole bunch of things or, or be exposed to a whole bunch of things, right? I think that's why I liked it. I think I liked cosplay because you get to try sewing or, you know, crafting with armor. And I know for me, my favorite part of cosplay is the photography side. I love doing photography. I love modeling. I love videography. Like, I love all that. And I feel like it's a chance to be really creative and try all sorts of different things. And so I think... Um, I think it's one of the things that really drew me to cosplay and what I love about content creation is that I still get to use so many of those different, you know, I guess hobbies or skills that I've invested in over my life and then also try new things all the time. Like I'm constantly learning new things and in some ways it's really humbling because I'm like, oh gosh, I don't know anything. I don't know what I'm doing. How am I a professional? But in other ways, I think that I, I would hate to feel like I stopped learning or I stopped growing. And so I, I do really love that part. Was it hard to settle on studying physics I, I don't know did you double major did you did you end up like just trying a whole bunch of different things academically as well so this is really funny because i took so many different classes just because i wanted to take them I, I, I was that person that took 21 credits a semester not because i needed them but because i just love taking classes i still do a lot of master classes i'll listen in on lectures i just do i think it's really fun and i think it's really interesting i took so many philosophy classes i was um the honors program i was a part of at university of portland 
they uh we started by doing an honor seminar on food sustainability and i just thought it was the coolest thing and i it made me think in ways that i i hadn't really thought before and so i tried to take a bunch of different classes outside my major too like i took modern japanese history even though i had already transferred in my history credit i needed to graduate i was like when when else am i going to get to take modern japanese history and so I, that was wildly fun i took philosophy of science i I took a bunch of just like cool classes. I took philosophy of quantum. Um, I was, again, really lucky that the university I went to was, uh, it was a small Catholic college and they were really supportive and the physics department was teeny tiny. And so they created classes for me that I was interested in and they went out of their way to give opportunities to all of us to learn and dive into things we were interested in. And so it's funny you mentioned double major. I was such a diva when I was young. I am one class, I was one class away from double majoring in math, but instead I have the math minor because I didn't want to take real, real analysis. I just wasn't interested and I was interested in a bunch of other things. And that one, I was like, no, I'm fine. I can take, you know, nonlinear dynamics, partial differential equations. I can take all the math I want. And I don't need the major. I don't want that class. So I was one class away, but chose not to take it. And then funny enough, I ended up doing a lot of chemistry research when I was in school. Physical chemistry is, I think, what I thought was the most interesting. And I didn't know that that's what I, how I would feel going into college because I only took like a semester of chemistry like as a mixed science course in high school so i didn't even really know like i didn't really know what chemistry was i knew a ton about physics because of my family but i didn't really know anything about chemistry and then i discovered chemistry in college and i loved it and so i was i ended up teaching one of the intro physics labs and i got to be i got to lecture in intro chemistry which was so much fun and so then I wanted to take inorganic chemistry and physical chemistry. And then I ended up teaching a physical chemistry lab, but I never took organic chemistry. So I don't have the chem major either. Cause again, you need to have two semesters of organic chemistry and the labs to have the major. So I just have the minor because I didn't want to, but I loved everything else and I had a great time and I was, it was super fun. I was 20. And I was the TA for a physical chemistry lab and they were doing a lab based off of my research. And that was kind of a really fun moment of like this experiment they're doing, that's fine. <laughs> and so it was, it was really cool and that was really special, but nope, I don't have any double majors cause I didn't want to. And so I left college after three years and went on to get my master's. But I mean, who's to say I could have stayed that extra year and triple majored, but I, wasn't interested. And I found that when I'm interested in something, I love it. I'm passionate. I'll dive in. I'll spin all the work. When I'm not passionate about something, it's hard for me to chase that. And so I Absolutely. think ultimately I have no regrets because if I had tried to just take the classes because I needed them, I don't know if I would have loved it. Like, I don't know if it would have been worth it for me. So no. So after the three years, <laughs> so did, nope. you, did you have a, a very good idea of what, what, you wanted to be or what profession you wanted to take on? No, I, well, I always sort of assumed that with science, I would eventually get my PhD. And, um, but partway through my second year at, at school, I was made aware of a fellowship called the Noyce Fellowship that would ultimately, um, it would basically pay 
if you were a science major for your master's in teaching and then you would go to be a teacher. And I knew that I loved teaching labs and I loved lecturing. And that was something, I mean, I started teaching piano when I was like 14 and because I wanted extra money. I don't know. You end up teaching piano. And so I knew I loved teaching and everyone in my life told me that I was really good at it. And they were like, you're really good at this. Like you, you have a gift in this, like you should teach. This is a great opportunity. You should apply. And so, um, when I ended up getting it, that fellowship paid for my whole senior year of college as well as my master's. So I did the, I got my master's in teaching in 10 months and then I went off and I became a high school teacher. I think I always assumed that I would like teach for a few years and then go back to school. And I, you know, it's interesting as time goes on and I realized that like, I don't know if that is what I want to do, but I think it's always something in the back of your mind. So I don't know. I don't, I don't shut off the possibility that maybe I would want to go back and get my PhD, but at least right now, that's not an interest to me, but no, I had no idea. I sort of, I, I think everything happens for a reason. So I think it was meant to be. But there were definitely moments while I was teaching where I wondered, why did I do this? Like, did I, did I want to teach high school? Like, how did I end up here? Like, what am I doing? And so I don't know. I don't think I had a clear vision. And I think when you don't have a clear vision, it's easy to bend towards people who have a clear vision for you. Sure. That becomes attractive or you're drawn to their influence and and such. And are you still, uh, I'm curious, are you still a full-time teacher or did you step away from that? So I, um, I went full-time content creation about two years ago. And oh. so, um, it, I, I was teaching high school while also working as a princess and yes. eventually my part-time job overtook my full-time job. And it kind of, I don't know if I ever would have like fully taken the plunge if not for the pandemic, because everything I loved about teaching was suddenly stripped from teaching. Yeah, like the student, online, yeah right? the student interaction, the connections, the community. Like I, I went from being able to like really have a role in students lives you know mentoring them being a, like helping helping with college applications like coming up with fun labs and then having the in-person connection to then having it be fully online where it was only just like the lesson like the lesson planning the grading you know the angry parents part <laughs> and i was like oh no i hate this like i it was always like hard and i i never knew if it like was where i saw myself forever but I loved it. And then suddenly I didn't love it. And I was kind of right on the cusp. And so that was when I, I ultimately made the decision not to go back and to just be like, well, I'll give myself a few years. And if I'm able to pull it off and it's financially working for me and my family and it's fulfilling and it's working for me, then I'll keep going. Or after those few years, I'll make a change. And I think that, you know, timing, like I said, I truly believe things like happen for a reason and timing, you know, it's meant to be in certain ways. And so right around that decision, I was also pregnant and very sick. And so it was a good move for me to be, to kind of make the change and make the switch. And I think in a lot of ways, it's been really positive. I, I mentioned earlier though, I am not great at saying no. And I didn't even realize how, difficult it would be when the person I was saying no to was like my own expectations of myself. It's one thing to like stay late when you're working 
for someone else. It's another thing to realize, like, I, it's midnight. Like, I'm, <laughs> what am I doing? Like, nobody set this deadline other than me. Like, and I need to give myself or, or grace. Or making uh, multiple costumes for mini Yeah, or... like, what was I doing? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't... I, hon I honestly think that's the most, I don't even want to say underrated, because I think for creators, for us, it's very well known. Like, it's just saying no to ourselves is often the hardest. It's not mm -hmm. even just people have expectations of you or you or they ask you if you want to go to a convention or or a meetup you do feel that pressure because you feel like you want to be in the community you want to socialize and you want to network you want to be be seen you want to be heard and all that stuff that's that's obviously there but i think saying no to yourself is also super hard i mean i i i lose track of you know i'm doing this part time i lose track of how how long i've edited edited things you know because i, I should be going to bed getting my 8 hours and i'm just not because I want to squeeze in because I still have a full-time job. I'm still trying to do this as a side hustle. And uh, you're very well aware of that, of oh, what yeah. that feels like for sure. And, and uh, it, it's, just, it's just setting boundaries for yourself is probably the, the hardest. And I'm still trying to figure it out. Oh, I completely agree. And I think it's difficult too because there's, there's this notion that if you're not actively creating, then you're hurting yourself long-term. Like with the algorithm or, you know, that, um, or different, different reasons. And I think that there's, I, I don't know. And I think that I sometimes, I, I struggle with that because you're able to look at, I think it's much easier for me to look at other people's work objectively or being like, oh no, this is great. They should rest, like take a break, like push it back. But it is much harder to have those sorts of feelings of grace towards yourself and so i think i don't know i'm not great at it but i try and i think too that it's helpful to surround yourself with people in a community that you're able to be honest with and solicit advice that you want i think the internet's filled filled with advice that i don't want you know people commenting <laughs> on things or google and like you have to post twice a day like there's lots of advice i don't want to hear. everybody's heed. an authority now yeah oh yeah yeah and so i think it's been it's tricky because content creation is so isolating but i think being able to find creators that have similar mindsets as you and you're able to use them as barometers uh for your own work and your own life and i think I think that as I've found, been able to connect with more people and get genuine advice it's, and share and commiserate with, I think that's been really positive and it's, and it's helped. Because I do think, I do sometimes miss, you know, a classroom filled with people versus sitting alone in my basement. And, you know, I don't know, it's interesting. Yeah, for sure. Uh, maybe this is a good time to shout out our mutual friend, uh, Talia Vess. She just strikes me as someone who is just, like an absolute workhorse in a best possible way and also super positive. And mm. it's just like to see, I, I, okay, actually, let me just ask the question first. Like you guys are friends, right? You guys know yeah. each other well? So okay. uh, I met her for the first time, actually at the very first public magic event I ever attended. So I learned to play magic, like it's not even been two years. It'll be two years in August since I was introduced to magic. Um, I, I should preface that I've played other games. While I was working for an electrochemical company, I once grinded Dominion, online Dominion. I don't even want to say. I think there was like a moment I was number one. I, I was way too into it. I spent too much time because basically like I was writing their data analysis software and I'd have to watch these experiments. And 
moral of the story, I played lots of games and right. I had already been working full time as a cosplayer, but I never played magic until one of my friends bought me a Freecon. And so we all got really into it, but I'd only ever played magic with my immediate friends and family. I'd never played magic with a stranger. But I had been working as a cosplayer, and I got invited as a co to be a cosplay guest at Command Fest Bellevue. I remember walking into the room and being like, oh my gosh, I'm terrified. I've never played magic with a stranger, let alone been one of the cosplay guests that people are going to be seeking out to play magic with. And I was terrified. But I walked into the room, and the very first person to approach me was Talia. I think she recognized me because we had all been advertised together. She came up to me, and she was like, here, let me introduce you to people. She like took me around and introduced me to um, most of the other guests, none of who I'd ever met or been aware of at all. And so she introduced me to everyone and uh, included me in events that weekend and was just genuinely a wonderful person. Uh, she, is a, she is a good friend. And so I, I'm so thankful for all of the connections that I've made in the magic community and just how welcoming everybody was because I had never played magic with anyone and it was scary. And it was wonderful that people were so open to wanting to hang out with me. And uh, I think back to like Joey, uh, Joey from EDH Rec. I was like standing there, not sure what to do. And he was like, come play, come play magic with us. Or like, you know, everybody was just so open to including me. But I, Talia was the very first person I spoke to at a magic event that I didn't ever. <laughs> that was just last year. That's that's awesome. And yeah, very awkward of me to bring up her name, but I just feel like she's a very excellent example of someone in the community who as a creator, it's like if I just feel so inspired by her even though if, even if I'm not doing exactly the same thing, I just feel like the 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 work that she puts into her stuff and just when I interviewed her like how well she came across in terms of like her story and her voice and and just and just being relentless maybe that's like part of her but she's just like relentless in her work ethic and it, i just feel like if you're a friend of hers like it, it must rub off on you and in, in some shape or form right i think that it's really really awesome that so many of the prominent people in magic are genuinely awesome people and I think that, like, I can't speak for every fandom, but having done cosplay from a lot of fandom, I think that I'm constantly blown away by both the work ethic and just the kindness of people in the magic community. I think Talia is a really great example of that. She, uh, she is really the person that instigated the idea of she sparks which is a group that's dedicated to increasing representation in gaming and when i think about people that i admire as creators i really look to those people who are involved in she sparks i think that talia uh zbex or zanade ariel or air bubbles cosplay or whitney um Zabricus. They all are some of the hardest workers, the most talented people. And I'm just so, like, so happy that they have dedicated so much of their time and even included me in this project. I think it's a wonderful mission that we as a community can lean into, making everyone feel welcome and wanted in a space. Yeah, yeah. No, but anyway, I think that groups like that are just so cool. And I think that it's, it's really awesome that the that people people who are really good examples of hard workers that are dedicated to what they do um, are role models in this space. And so I think like the uh, 
She Sparks group, for sure. There's also Birds of Paradise. There's so many great people that you can look to and be like, okay, I love your work-life balance. I love how much you've put into this. Or, and I, you know, I'm constantly inspired by. And I think that what I mentioned, being able to talk to other creators and share how things are going, what's working, what isn't working. I'm, I'm really thankful for those people that you can bounce ideas off of and get inspired by. I want to ask, I want to go back a little bit how did you even decide to become a content creator in the first place when it was part-time and when you were doing something else as a full-time gig? What was the spark you know, that got you in, even into like in front of that camera or whatever it was? I think, I think that there's a desire I, for connection with people. And so I wasn't much as much online really until the pandemic hit. And then suddenly those in-person interactions were no longer really available. And so then I started reaching out in online spaces for connections, finding people to collaboratively make content with, where instead of doing, I, I always did photo shoots. Like I look back and it's, it's funny to see some of those really old costumes that I made when I was much, much younger. But I, I've always loved it. Like I, when Flickr was a thing, some of my friends. Oh, I remember. Um, oh, I remember yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Flickr. <laughs> some Yahoo of my best Flickr. friends I met when we, my dad was stationed in Maui when I was in middle school. And we were dedicated to whatever those themes were. The bench Mondays, the, you know, whatever. Like I was, I've always really loved photography. I guess I just was never really pushing to make it a career until I, that was the way I could connect with people. That's the way that I could share my interests and I could, yeah, for lack of a better word, have a sense of a community. Yet I was missing that in-person community and really searching for community in other spaces. And then the more I shared my work, it was so humbling that it was well-received, that people enjoyed what I was making. And then, you know, I think there's that positive feedback. I wanted to make more. I wanted to do more things. And then suddenly it felt possible. It's kind of a wild thought. Like I remember, I remember the day I realized I didn't have to be at a convention to be in costume and it was novel. It was in 2017. I, I'd been cosplay, cosplaying, I guess, for years. Like I'd been wearing Star Trek uniforms to Star Trek conventions, but I never really considered myself a cosplayer. But I did know I loved dressing up on Halloween and at conventions. And it was a Tuesday when I suddenly was like, I, I could just get in costume now. I could just take pictures in that new costume I built now. I don't need to wait until the next convention because if I recall, I had been really upset because I had built a seven of nine costume, worn it to a con, and then I was trying to build another costume, a Deja Thoris costume for the next con, but I wasn't able to like quite finish it to how I wanted it to be. So even though I wore it, like it wasn't quite what I wanted. And so I finished it after and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to wait months until I can wear this. Until it was like, wait, d why? Like, why do I have to wait months? I, I could just get dressed up now and take pictures 
And then like, why not? And so I think that like from then on, I was like, oh my gosh, I can like, that's something I can do. And so every, lots of times when I would be a new princess, I was booked most often as, um, as the Snow Queen or Elsa, but I did a lot of the classic princesses too, just because of my vocal range and, you know, whatever. So, so you, I was... can, you can sing very well in character as Elsa, I, I assume? Most of the princesses I can sing quite well as. I've sung them a lot. <laughs> and so I think uh, I, I, I was most often booked as Elsa, but I also was Aurora a lot. Aurora, Belle, Cinderella. It was always fun to be Anna. Um, I one time got booked as Anna by Jason Eldeen, so that's kind of fun. But I did a lot of like corporate events. When Frozen 2 came out, I was... I was Elsa a lot. <laughs> I remember <laughs> I was doing a big corporate event in Denver, which is a big city kind of outside of where I live. And uh, the movie had just come out like two days before. And I was doing a big Christmas party. And there were, there were hundreds of people there. And they wanted me to sing all of the Frozen 2 content. And the movie... I didn't watch Frozen 2. Were they all brand new songs? Yeah. You had to learn them in two days? Or... Uh, I was in the car. Just on, I left the high school I was teaching at. I changed, and then I was just in the car, like singing it over and over again. Because I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Don't like, mess I, this I, up. I gotta know my lines. I, I, this is <laughs> so, I'm pretty sure the most kids are like, of "What is this song? This is like a brand new thing." <laughs> they knew it. It was terrifying. I'm so glad I learned it. I'm, I'm saying so you can't glad. fool the kids. You have to know your stuff because if you show up they, and yeah. you're slightly off, they know. Well, you have all those things you can say because, you know, kids will always ask you questions. They'll be like, is this hair real? And you can be like, you know, <laughs> like, this is like, it's on my head. <laughs> or like, tell me about <laughs> your hair. Like, what color would you like? You know, you can never say no to kids. So you have to be like, okay. Or, you know, you don't know if you've met them. So it's like, it's wonderful to see you. And so you have all the different things that like you say and whatever. And so so did I it go I, well? Did you, did you manage to? I got to, it. To yeah, it was fine. I, I think I stressed out about it, like lost sleep. Who knows? I don't remember messing up. So I must not have messed up too badly if I did. I do have like, there are, you know, they still haunt you. I do have a few times where I know I messed up. Oh yeah. Like, and I, they haunt you. It's like, you still think about them. Like I know, I, I know one time I just forgot all the words to let it go. And it was a tough day because I had done, I was doing three parties. So like you go kind of back to back and it was on the third party. I just like blank. <laughs> Do I know this song? But like, you want to stay in character. So I was like, Oh no. Like I must've let go of all the words too. And then like the kids kind of laugh and be like, will you all help me? Should we rewind? And then we rewound and we sang it together and it was fine. And you know, it sounds like you had the, the right <laughs> skills to improv as well and to kind of riff and, and figure out how have to navigate to... it. Yeah, yeah. 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 But I think, you know, there, I, Oh, I think the one other, no, I don't, I don't think I slipped, but there was one time I was booked for a party and I drove up to the house and I had this weird sense of deja vu and I had been booked by the same family for their daughter's birthday the year before as a different character. Oh. And I don't think anyone knew. Like, honestly, I, the, I don't know if the parents knew. I, I didn't catch it fast enough because, like, you have all the email communication and you're like, had they met Cinderella before? You know, like, so you can kind of have everything. And it wasn't until I walked in the doors that I was like, 
oh no <laughs> i recognize all of these people but i don't i don't i don't know if they can tell but mm. yeah i have so lots of funny what, stories <laughs> what is it like to 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 step into that costume or that character maybe we can delineate it by different circumstances because maybe as a as a princess you've talked about but i want to i want to know like when you're going to a convention as seven of nine or when you're when you're dressing up as a character in magic or star trek like what's going through your mind do you become that character are you still anna margaret but also that character like what what is what is that feeling i think it really depends on the situation so when i'm working as a character actress i think i really try to step into that character and so i've spent a lot of time watching the characters at the park say for being princesses like i've watched a lot of footage you want to make sure that you have the same mannerisms because you don't know where somebody has met you before and so you want to make sure that you are exuding the same energy using the same vocal inflection same sort of phrases and so for those types of roles I very much uh, tried to step into that character. I have kind of like a routine in the car where like you practice, you warm up, you practice the song, you say a few phrases, like make sure that you're in the right headspace and that you're ready to go. And I know that uh, sometimes you're not immediately in the right headspace. Like there'd be days where I'd be exhausted or I just like wouldn't be feeling it and it would be harder to make sure that that didn't come across at all. Like I really had to like reset like focus on like what I was doing and who I was. It's a little bit different with cosplay. If I'm doing say like a little skit for TikTok or I'm doing something in character, it's very much the same way. Like if I'm gonna be doing like little skits, I, I it's more in the pandemic, but I still do them sometimes. Like if I'm doing like little Star Trek skits or when I was doing some promotional content for uh, you with Star Trek and Playmobil, like I wanted to make sure I was having the energy of the characters. I was doing and so it'd be kind of much the same way now cosplaying is i feel like is different because when i'm at a convention at, at least now as a cosplayer oftentimes unless i'm booked like as a character actress if people want to see me yeah they might want pictures of my cosplay some people might want pictures because of the certain character but oftentimes people want to meet me right. and so i'm more just me in costume Right. But I do think it depends on the situation. I think that like sometimes you are booked as a character, like as a superhero, as right. you know, whatever. Or sometimes with kids, it's just that's naturally what happens. Like I was guesting at a convention and I was Scarlet Witch and more than half the time kids would approach you and want you to be in character. And so mm -hmm. I guess I'm lucky that I can kind of flip the switch and be like, yeah, like, and be that character just because I've done it for years. And so that's I'm something Scarlet I can Witch do. Or I'm Anna Margaret, depending yeah. on the circumstance. But oftentimes, you know, it depends. And I think that generally for cosplayers, you're not the character. If you're just at a convention, you know, be, or even a guest at a convention, you're not really that character. You're, it's also yourself. hard to be in that character for six hours or however long, oh, yeah. right? That would be incredible. Yeah, so I think it. Uh, I I think that typically in cosplay, you're, you are a cosplayer. You get to present that character and embody that character. But unless you're working as a character actress, then you are that character. And I think that's actually really, sometimes party companies really struggle with that because there's people 
it takes a certain type of person to be a character actress and it takes a different type of person to make costumes and those skills don't always intersect. And so times that they do intersect, that's awesome, but it's not always. Mm -hmm. And so some of the very best character actresses I know, like the uh, person that started the company that I started princessing with, her name is Sarah Engel. She is one of the most phenomenal singers. She, her background's all in marketing. She's amazing. Um, but she doesn't really make costumes. She definitely prefers to purchase costumes that are as screen accurate as she can get or as close to the parks as she can get. And then she really brings those characters mm. to life. And that's what she prefers. You know, on the flip side, I have a lot of cosplay friends who love costuming. They are able to make such detailed and beautiful work but they would feel very uncomfortable if you approach them at a convention assuming that they would be that character because yeah. they're not so they're showcasing their love of that character through the art of their costume but they are not playing that character and they're not a character actress and so i think that those are kind of two separate hats and i enjoy both of them i really do it just kind of depends on the situation what i'm booked for or what i'm doing yeah, I mean, everybody has different strengths. So I think it's important to, I guess, I guess we should all just recognize that. I mean, we all do know that, but it's sometimes it's hard maybe in the heat of the moment, like when you're a public personality and people sort of expect you to be all these kind of things at once. So um, like, I think that's where sometimes the awkwardness of a of face-to-face a, of a -face encounter at a convention happens is when people, um, they, they don't think about those kind of things. They're like, oh, you know, like, I don't know, there's maybe a million examples, but sometimes that leads to um, ambiguous or awkward social situations, right? I have this fear because I was on the flip side of it. So there's a creator that I'm not going to name names, but I was a huge fan of pledged on their patreon for years consumed all of their content was really inspired i really really admired this creator and the first time and the second time i met them in person i just left with the worst taste in my mouth and i'm confident that that's not who they are as a person especially now that i uh, maybe, maybe you built up become, some expectations of them. In see, and I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting because I think that everybody can have a bad day. And now that I've kind of become a creator myself, like at the time that I met them, I wasn't really a creator. But uh, we have a lot of mutual friends. And I'm confident they're a wonderful human. But it is difficult then to shake like two very negative interactions. Do you know what I mean? And so I think that like I do have this fear that what who have I accidentally given inauthentic <laughs> interactions with, you know? And so I think that that's something I I try to be really aware of. And I think that uh, we mentioned before that I try to always be positive, both on the internet and in person. And I do, if if I notice that I'm, I'm not feeling happy, I'm not feeling it, I, my social batteries run low, I try to gracefully exit rather, even if it means I'm gonna miss something that I'd love, rather than may stay in a situation and potentially discourage somebody from pursuing cosplay or potentially give a really negative interaction that I don't mean that I would either regret later or have haunt me that I'll never know. Like, so I think I, I tried to be aware, especially, um, especially as your audience grows, I think you do need to be a little bit more conscious about both the energy you put into the world and the content, not, and the content you put out, like not just the content, but also the energy in person and online and taking those breaks away 
as needed to make sure that you don't accidentally have those moments. Yeah. And I mean, there's definitely awful or awkward interactions that have happened, which I don't think were instigated by me and they do haunt you, even if it was somebody else saying something. And so I, I try to be really aware and be careful because, you know, it's hard. That's the dark side of it, I would say. Maybe not even dark side, but just the what happens, right? Yeah. From time to time because we're all human and, and you know, when two humans interact, it, sometimes it's not predictable. Yeah. And sometimes it, it haunts you even when you don't have any control over it. Maybe it's mm. honestly just the other person being a jerk and it's just, <laughs> it, it, it is what it is, but you, yeah. you always remember those kind of moments, right? It is unfortunate that the negative interactions are often ones that are more, more, more memorable in some ways. I mean, if you think hard, you can think about like lots of positive times meeting people, but it is, it is kind of the embarrassing or the awkward ones that you can sometimes recall with clarity, like, oh no, yeah. like, and, but I think, I think though, in the grand scheme of things, those negative interactions are dwarfed by the number of positive interactions you have, both online and in person. And I, I do remember that, especially when your like inbox is threaded with death threats. Like I once had a I once had a video oh go gosh, really viral. I had a video go really viral. And it was literally just me in a Star Trek uniform. I was in a next generation Star Trek. Uh, captain uniform so it was red uniform but next generation was command but in the original series red there's the joke about red shirts dying yeah. and when it's a joke it's okay but i this this video got out of control and i for months would just get lots of comments of like oh hopefully she's one of the red shirts that dies you know like awful things and i'd be like what is happening like what is wrong like, i'm just standing in a star trek uniform but i think that i became much happier when i was able to just mute a bunch of terms block right. a bunch of people right. and really try to put it in perspective that like the ratio of people saying negative things is so much less than the people saying positive things the, i shouldn't the give, majority that just yeah right i shouldn't let these people have so much power over my emotions and that is much easier said than done but i think that as you make content online you have to find ways to shield yourself from those negative thoughts to mm -hmm. to find ways to not let a single negative comment overshadow the vast majority of reactions and i think it is harder to on in some ways on smaller platforms and so i think it i think it's it's kind of a mixed bag like if you only get a few comments and one of them's negative i think it's more heartbreaking and so i try to really have empathy too especially if i see i see something negative i always report it i try to comment on everything i limit myself the time on my phone just because i don't want to be on my phone too much with my kids and since it is work i think you have to have that balance but i try to comment on almost every photo i see on instagram it's just a little thing that i've done for years now and it actually makes me feel better too i try to comment on everything like oh so great to meet you stunning cosplay beautiful photo like i think that like you never know how like what that one comment could mean to somebody it might just be like a drop in the bucket but or if yeah. they're getting mostly negative comments or they need a positive comment like you never know and so i try to be a positive commenter on all social media because i hate the negative comments and so i don't know how to stop people from commenting negative things but i can flood my feed with positive comments and so that's the method i take i think that's great i think i think taking that extra five seconds to type in a positive comment 
I I feel like that is way more like hundred times more impactful than just a like or something that you like double click on something. I just feel like not enough people do it. And I, I think we do need to have a little bit more of that. Certainly when I have my tiny Instagram account and I see someone take the time to comment on something, even a sentence that says they like this, that means a lot more to me, honestly, than maybe a hundred likes or whatever the metric is. And I think that's also tough because for, for those of us doing content, we're so, I don't even want to say for those of us doing content, anyone who's using social media, that whole feedback mechanism is just so addictive. I, I don't know how you process it because for me, honestly, even at a much smaller scale than you, I find it hard sometimes. Yeah, it's hard. I think I used to track numbers a lot more rigorously than I do now. And I think that's helped because it, it used to really bring me down when I would spend hours on something and it wouldn't be well received because then you question the validity and the quality of your work. I found myself wondering like, oh, was this not good? Was my cosplay not good? Were my photos not good? Like, have I gotten worse? Am I not progressing? Am I not growing? And I think it's content is very different than other areas where if you want to be good at math, you just practice math. You want to solve a tricky problem, you spend time, you get help and you solve the tricky problem with content. If you want to you get better spend... at piano, you just practice. Right? Exactly. You just actually spend time practicing. I still wake up on Thursday mornings in a cold sweat, freaked out that I haven't practiced something. I had piano lessons on Thursday my entire childhood, went off to college and scheduled my private piano classes on Thursday. So it's just that day. You know, if you wake up on a cold sweat on a Thursday wondering if it's you've practiced Thursday. piano, it's me. It's Thursday. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just that's the day that you need to be panicked so you haven't practiced piano but i think content is very different than that i think you can practice you can produce amazing content and still not be successful and i think in a lot of ways that's really disheartening when you're approaching something i think that you look online and you see advice for say youtube youtube's been a bit of my white whale it's my favorite content to make and i'm not i'm just not really great at it but i love it and i love making that content so i still do it but i would get so disheartened because i'd look and they'd say like the first step to succeeding in youtube is improving the quality of your youtube content and i'd be like bet okay like, how do I have higher quality editing? I spent hours like watching tutorials on like, how can I make shortcuts for my J cuts? How do I increase, like improve this? Like, I want this to be the highest quality as possible. And then ultimately it's like, okay, well, I got five subscribers. Was that worth it? Like, is that return on investment there? Or, you know, you spend a ton of time and making content that doesn't bring in any revenue or doesn't yield positive results. Like I felt right. that way when a lot of the money that you make in content creation is either doing user-generated content or doing sponsored posts on your own page. And I will make a lot more doing those sorts of advertisements on Instagram and I make nothing on YouTube. But if that's the content I really love making, is it worth it to pour in all that time and then get nothing back? And then you have to wonder like, is am i getting nothing back like yes i'm not getting any money back but ultimately like is that community is worth it to me like is that the value that i seek from this like what are my goals like are my goals to make money or are my goals to share my passion create something i love and you know it's 
I think you have to ask those questions to yourself. And I don't think there's any wrong answer. I think, unfortunately, in a very capitalist society, you have to prioritize what will ultimately allow you to live the life you need to live, which includes money. And so I think you have to like ask yourself these questions. But I do think that focusing too hard on the numbers is a recipe for comparing yourself and a recipe for being unhappy. And I think that I've had to be brutally honest with myself and be like, my self-worth isn't tied to numbers. And yeah. if it is, then I need to reevaluate my mindset on this. Because that doesn't determine my self-worth. But if I focus too hard and I let it determine my self-worth, I will be only unhappy. And so I think I think that it's a continuous process of growth. And I think every creator is going to have different, a different journey and ultimately different goals for what they want out of content creation. But I think that it takes some, some evaluation of yourself. What are you looking for? And is this ultimately fulfilling that? And are you taking steps that are fulfilling or are you just chasing numbers? What are your goals? My goals are to, yeah, this is tricky. You're just like, what are your goals? Okay, but I got them. I've been, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about it. My goals are ultimately to authentically be myself and create content that I'm proud of, that I enjoy. And so I never want to feel like I'm making something solely for the purpose of growth or solely for the purpose of numbers or anything. I want to make things that push me, that I enjoy, and that I'm passionate about. And if I start to stray from that, I can feel it. There's like, you know, that line. Like there are some, there's some things that, you know, kind of push you, but you still enjoy. And that's great. But then there's also content that you dread. Things that like, I don't want to do. And then I think I'm like, I'm in charge. Why am I doing it if I don't want to do it? So my right. goal is to find and create things that I'm proud of, that I enjoy, and that push me to keep growing as a person. And so I think I, I don't always hit the mark, but I try. That's kind of my goal as a creator. Got it. And hopefully the numbers line up as you go on that journey, right? But the, the numbers mm -hmm. are not the point. Or hopefully the numbers are a byproduct of you being true to yourself and and doing it that way, right? Something I've, I use, well, and I guess I'm lucky that I did have some content that I've really enjoyed making do well enough that I have, while not big numbers, I have numbers that are substantial enough that I've been able to get the opportunities I wanna get. And so I try to focus on the things that I can control. I can control the way that I approach people and the way that I present myself. And so oftentimes when uh, conventions either approach me or I'm not great at approaching people, but it's my, one of my goals. One of my goals is to be better at actually initiating and taking control of opportunities. But when I approach people or they approach me, I am able to point to things like engagement rates that are really high, like that are above average. And that I think is a testament to something I can control. I can control how I interact with my audience. I can't necessarily control how many people are following me, but I can control that I try to respond to every comment or every message that I go out of my way to, to ask questions and be engaging. Those are things I can control. Right. I can't control the numbers, but ultimately how then I present 
those things that I'm good at will be more important than just a number that doesn't have a community behind it. And so I think that I am very happy that I am able to be in that space. And I obviously want to, you know, push myself and try to continue growing and making cool things. But I do, I do think it's important to focus on what you can control. I can control consistency, which I stink at, and I can control in, uh, communicating and fostering a positive community. And so that's kind of where I'm at. YouTube's a great example of this. I was so flustered with YouTube. I was like, I'm trying so hard. I'm not growing at all. I don't know what to do. And so I actually had my, I was chatting with uh, much larger YouTube creators and uh they i my channel was audited by two different creators who i look up to who are awesome uh and the advice i got was your content's great you don't post enough and you're not consistent and i was like yeah you're right and so that's something i can control and i hate to admit it but it's helped being more consistent <laughs> and posting more has made a difference and so i think that shifting my mindset from like oh my gosh i'm not growing to oh my gosh i should work on my time management and even though this isn't necessarily helping me grow right now being able to have like a bank of consistency the people who do watch my videos they'll be able to know when they're coming they'll be able to like recognize when i'm making content and i can really foster that community albeit small and share and connect with them and it's been it's been a good shift i'm connecting with this so hard the the part where you said like um you know they audited your channel and they're just saying you just need to post more yeah there's there's consistency (laughs) in posting more because Mm -hmm. i'll tell you like for me i kind of grew up i i think i think you mentioned being kind of in between introversion and extroversion i am a hundred percent an introvert like Mm -hmm. i I really enjoy this show and doing these interviews, but after I do these interviews, I'm like, that's all the social stuff I need for the day. Like I, I, I'm good. I don't need to go out after interviewing <laughs> Anna Margaret. Now I can just enjoy being at home the rest of the day. I've this is... sucked all your energy into <laughs> exactly. this interview. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm saying that because I kind of grew up just thinking that I only need to communicate things once. So even in work situations, like I'm a, I'm a product manager, so I work in software and you learn very quickly that sometimes you need to say something five, 10 times. You have to be tired of hearing it yourself just so that the audience even gets it once. It's the whole classic like over communication is actually just regular communication to other people. And I'm still trying to come to terms with that in content because I often will just shut myself down and just be like, I shouldn't tweet six times a day because that's like, that's too much. But honestly, there's so much stuff out there that you actually need to like go above and beyond what you think is acceptable just to be acceptable, you know? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, because like, like, your followers honestly, are only going to see a fraction of what you post. Exactly. Because of yeah. the algorithm, because of other things that are vying for attention. So it's like, mm-hmm. honestly, if I, I've thought, I actually thought about this cause I, I do one episode a week and uh, of course I do shorts and I do things as well. I do clips, but I, I feel like, in a perfect world, if I have more time, and I know this sounds like an excuse, if I have more time, I really should just be like posting two interviews a week, three interviews a week, four interviews a week, because why not, right? Because like, if I'm already like dedicated to it, I should just do more of it. And and, and uh, of course, then we get into the whole thing where I'm like, 
in conflict with myself like what are my boundaries like do i really should i put all three interviews a week should i put one a week but honestly speaking i think the number one advice for creators that i would give if i could start over is just post more like yeah. honestly just post more yeah yeah so, i i need that advice really too connect, so i'm, I'm really, i need to I'm take really your advice <laughs> and, and youtube is also my white will like i i <sighs> i love youtube i wish i had a bigger audience i wish i had started um you know I started like less than a year ago. I wish I had started like three years ago, five years ago, um, but it is what it is. And I, 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 I rather than just bemoan that I'm not getting the growth that I want, I'm just gonna try to do more, just try to get better. Uh, like you said, try to control the things that I can control. And um, I also haven't figured it out, but hopefully we can figure it out together, all of us uh, smaller YouTube creators. We're the same person. I think I literally tweeted about this earlier and your advice was the best time to start YouTube was yesterday. The second yeah, yeah, best yeah. time is now. And I, I, I relate, I feel like we're in the same place with that. And I do think it's a really, it's a devastating sentiment to feel like I wish I had started this earlier. I wish I had shared these things earlier. I wish I had been more proactive. And I, I fight with that a lot. And I think also, your your mention of time is so real. I don't think it is an excuse. I think that there, there is it's time is one of the most limiting reactants in this equation of life. I think about how I I've timed myself, and I know that from writing a script, filming a video, editing a video, I've gotten it down to as quick as I can. I've programmed shortcuts in my keyboard. And I often think to myself, if I could dedicate these three hours on other days, would I succeed? If I could put out more videos, like, could I do it? I talked to people like CGB with the, the daily videos, like NTG Mudster, like I so value their perspective and that they've been so willing to chat with me and talk about YouTube. And I see these people posting daily and I'm like, ah, oh, would I succeed if I did it? And I don't know. I don't know. I think that, I think that giving, giving ourselves grace and recognizing that everybody has a different timeline. I think about how I can't work on things unless a different adult is watching my toddlers. And I try to remember that like, I can't get this time with them back. And I need to make the choice about how much time I want somebody else. Hi, did I summon you? <laughs> my daughter. Toddlers? Okay. Yep, she just gave me a kiss on my hand. She's a doll. Um, I have to make that choice about how much time I want them to be with somebody else. And I want to spend trying to further what I'm doing and how much I want to be with them. And I think that that is, a, I think it's been a helpful thought in centering me of like, ultimately, yeah. what am I going to regret more? You got to put it in perspective. Yeah. Because if it's time with um, content or time with your family or time for me, like, you know, personal time, like going for a run or something. Resetting was, after spending resetting. all that time talking to people, <laughs> draining exactly. your social battery. Recharging the batteries. I, mm. I think it's uh, listening to music. I don't know, what, whatever it is. I, I feel like, yeah, that is so important. Um, but I think that's also naturally what comes with the territory. It's just that, at least for me, it's just like, I think the thing that makes me fairly effective as a content creator is also the thing that hampers me as a content creator. It's just this kind of like constant 
evaluation analysis um regret regret minimization followed by that and and just all you work of... in technology you said you're a product manager you're yeah that's like a, a gift that's like such a skill and then finding how can i harness this gift for positive in my content creation yes yes and i think you know that's that's crazy cool like yeah. some people would be desperate to have that ability to analyze their numbers and not have it feel overwhelming yeah. That's what I tell myself when I overanalyze my numbers. I'm like, I'm lucky that these numbers make sense to me. <laughs> now I need to choose to not look at them and yes. <laughs> move on with my day. I have to learn to stop looking at the, the YouTube where it's like, you know, your videos rank like X out of 10 on your all time or whatever it is. That all, <laughs> That's just so, I, I think I need to install like a YouTube studio blocker just to block out that that part you know whatever that is um, <laughs> just don't want to look at it doesn't yeah, exist it's always like the front page when you log into the create mm -hmm. uh, the studio so it's hard um but uh switching gears a little bit i want to know about your um your star trek fandom how did that start as a, as a fellow star trek fan i i need to know so i love star trek i the first picture I have of myself at a convention, I am between the ages of three and six months, and I'm being held with my mom and a person dressed in Klingon cosplay. I've been surrounded by Star Trek my entire life. I, uh, I remember growing up, my dad would let me stay up late. So my sister and I would stay up late and watch Star Trek with him. And we'd eat whatever snacks we wanted. And it's a memory I have. But we only ever watched the ones he liked. <laughs> and I didn't even realize that there were some episodes I'd never seen of Next Generation and Voyager uh, until they were curated. Yes. Yeah, I just thought all of them were fantastic. All I had of them this were just ten out of ten. Yeah. yeah. Well, not ten out of ten. My dad has ranked every episode on a scale from zero to nine, so I have followed suit. So I have rated every episode of Star Trek I've seen on a scale from zero to nine. Nine being the superior oh, episodes. Very scientific slash analytical. We, yeah. We never watched watched anything below a four so everything was at least a four and but I didn't realize that there were so many that I had just never seen or that there were these ones I had never seen that were considered classics until later in life when um, I was grade a grader in college and I'd put on a show while I was grading because you'd have like these hundreds of homeworks you'd go through. Sure. And I was making my way watching Voyager and I got to the Tuvix episode and I was like what is this? Like, what is this episode? I'm pretty sure I called my dad and I was like, what? We never watched this one? Like, it was, I was horrified. I don't even know. Like, there were certain things like that I just, like, never seen. But, um, yeah, I really, I grew up with it. We, I convinced my dance team one time to come to a Star Trek convention with me. And I dressed them all up in uniforms that I had and we entered the 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 talent show and of course we won because we were a dance team that was at a dance competition conveniently, located, yeah. conveniently located near yeah. a star trek convention and so it was wildly fun i uh yeah i've always just been super into it i think that it's 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 a memory it's a memory watching star trek with my family but it also is more just like an emotion i can think of i can just put myself back in that place 
of being with my sister and my dad watching the show. And so it feels comforting. Even though I don't love every episode, there's an air of familiarity and there's that vision that I really resonate with. And I think um, I spent a lot of time thinking about it because of that. You know, when it's one of your parents' favorite shows, it becomes one of your favorite shows. And I think in a lot of ways, uh, I think in a lot of ways, Star Trek has inspired so many people to be scientists. And while I don't think it was a primary drive for me to become a scientist, I'm really, I, that was my dad and just my love of, of everything that he did and wanting to do that too. Although <laughs> he's an astrophysicist and he loves being in an observatory all night by himself. I did one astrophysics internship. That one astronomy internship was enough to know Not that I you. needed to be by people and it was awesome. Loved the pictures I got. People Loved that stars. I got published got it. in it. And I was like, okay, that is what I thought I wanted to do. Turns out that is not what I wanted to do. But I still treasure those moments and I treasure that. I think like I had reconstructive jaw surgery. And so um, I had left for college and I've never really moved. After I had moved out for college, I never really went home except for the one period when I was recovering from jaw surgery. So that's the only other time I've lived at home. After that, I've just, I've maybe a few days have I ever like been home to visit or now that I live close enough that I'm just a drive away, I would never really spend the night there. But when I was recovering from jaw surgery, I was back home and it was, I had to like sleep sitting up and there was, you know, the fear that something would happen during the recovery. So my poor dad was like sleeping in the bed in my room while I slept in the chair so that I wouldn't die. And we watched all of the animated series and we rewatched a lot of Star Trek. And so I think it's always been something that I, I associate with family and with comfort. What are some of your favorite Star Trek episodes? Uh, the Measure of a Man will always be one of my favorites. I love that one. Uh, season two of Next Generation, that's when Data is evaluating like his humanity, but really everybody's more fighting over his humanity. Classic. And I find, oh my gosh, may, I've worked so much with robotics, I especially with the rise of AI. I think that these types of questions are so interesting. And Star Trek did such a good job of taking these so ahead real, of its time, just, the, just yeah, these real world issues and presenting them. You take these real situations, these yeah. feelings and these sentiments and these issues, these problems in society, and somehow placing them in the future, we're better able to critically and analyze and digest some of these situations. Star Trek's yeah. first interracial kiss, obviously, yes. you know, I, I remember that the kiss, but the Dax, the kiss with Dax in uh, Deep Space Nine right. was one of my first. That was a moment too. Yeah, it was one of my first exposures, really. Uh, and it's really interesting because, like, living in a conservative town, like, I, I found so much of so much of my exposure to things outside of myself was through media. And I think that's sure. one reason why fighting for representation in media is so important because that's how people will both see themselves and be exposed to things that outside of themselves. And so I think, I think Star Trek does a great job of that. I think relativity is maybe my favorite Star Trek episode. That's a Voyager episode where seven of nine travels through time and ultimately does too many jumps and needs to get help from Janeway. And I, I love it. That episode is one of, I think it's probably my favorite episode of Star Trek. But those are two off the top of my head that I've always loved. Um, funny, you asked me my favorite Star Trek episode. I was 17 and I met Riker. I met 
Commander Riker, Jonathan, Jonathan Frakes. Frakes. And yeah. so I was actually dressed as jo Jonathan Frakes. I had uh, the Commander Next Gen uniform. And he's like, you're a little young to be a Star Trek fan. And I was like, no, I, I love Star Trek. Like, I've watched it forever. And he's like, oh, what's your favorite episode? Blank. It was like, I couldn't have thought of a Star Trek episode to save my life. I had like, it was all just gone. Froze. I was yeah. so embarrassed. And then now flash forward, like just over 10 years later, I was a guest at Star Trek Las Vegas and I meet him again and we're oh, chatting again. again. Okay. And I- Redemption we, time. This, I, <laughs> I did not freeze, but I was like, oh my gosh, if it happens again, my friends are all laughing. They're like, you're going to forget every episode of Star Trek. And I was like, I will not, I will not forget every episode of Star Trek I've ever seen. I'm not going to do it again. It won't happen. Did you but... remind him that you were, you met him before? Like, oh, we did. Ago? Yeah. We talked about it briefly. And then that is why he asked me. So we were chatting and he's like, so what's your favorite episode of Star Trek? <laughs> and of course there's like a little crowd around us and I'm like, oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> not going to make, I'm not going to do it again. But I think I don't often get starstruck. I was at the Star Trek Picard season three premiere and I was pretty starstruck, like seeing, you know, Patrick Stewart gave like such an awesome awesome talk and it just felt so surreal to be like i've obsessed over this show for decades like i love star trek and then it was a very weird surreal moment to have people ask to take their picture with me and i was like yeah. how did i get here like how did this happen like how did surreal. i get to the point where i'm here and right. so it was wild. It, it was wild. Like every time I chat on Twitter with the director or like the cast retweets my cosplay photos, I'm like, what am I doing? Okay. This is happening, okay. Right? <laughs> it's like kind of wild. But no, I've always really, really loved Star Trek. That's, that's incredible. And uh, you mentioned Voyager uh, relatively in Voyager. I feel like Voyager's pretty underrated. I agree. Like, I feel like there's so much love for TOS and TNG. I don't really like TOS. Oh. TOS is a little bit before your time. I, mean, I don't like I mean, it. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it is a little dated. I mean, what isn't when you watch, like, you know, shows that are produced 30 years ago but yeah. or, or longer. But I feel like Voyager is, like, needs a little bit more love. I, I think there were a lot of good things in there. The one thing I didn't love about Voyager was that it really made the Borg a lot less menacing for me. But other than that, I think a lot of there are a lot of good stuff to come from. Well, I don't want to spoil it, but have you seen Picard season three with the Borg? You gotta you gotta fill me in because honestly, like uh, I think Enterprise was the last Star Trek show I watched, and oh I my basically gosh. stopped watching Star Trek for the last. 10 years so please give me the crash course on like what should i watch now and like what's good to watch so prepare don't to say have everything this podcast <laughs> derailed by star trek conversation so now good i'm glad we've had the chance to pivot i i think that i think it's valid to have different feelings towards some of the new trek and i know for me personally i watched the first two episodes of discovery and didn't like them I, I was like, what, what am I seeing? I think that the reason I felt that way was largely because of the sentiments I mentioned to you that I associated with Star Trek. And I think it's probably because so much of my Star Trek viewing was so curated too, that I only saw these best episodes. Even later when I watched the bad ones, I was able to be like, oh, well, you know, that's just like a drop <laughs> in the bucket <laughs> compared to the good ones, the ones I've yeah, seen. Yeah. 
But I, I was like, oh no, oh no, what am I watching? It felt a lot darker. I felt uh, like there was more conflict and suddenly this main character had some major flaws. And I think I, I really had to take a step away and it took a few weeks. More of the season had come out. Like I think most of the season had come out before I had been talking about it nonstop. Like I didn't like it. Oh my gosh. Blah, blah, blah. Finally, my husband was like, let's just watch the whole thing. Like watch the whole season. And then yeah. if you Give don't like it, you don't like it. And so I went and I started back from the beginning, rewatched those first two episodes and watched the whole first season. And I will say my perspective changed. I think in a lot of ways, and I know it's different for every person, but I think a lot of ways women characters aren't allowed to have the same depth of flaws as characters who are men. And I think we see this a lot in film where if it's a female character and she has major flaws, she has major hurt or she acts out or she acts angry, she shows these emotions, then she is hated. She's villainized. She's a bad character. She shows too much emotion. She's right. whatever. And we don't often hear that same criticism about too, our, too our men characters. Like, yeah, like too emotional. Yeah. And so a lot of the criticism I've heard about Michael Burnham, the one of the main characters in Discovery, is that she's too emotional, is that she has these flaws. And I, it really wasn't until I watched the whole season that I I really liked it. And I do think it's a different flavor. I think you have to go in expecting a darker story. But ultimately, there was so much to love as a Trekkie there. The, uh, I don't know, I don't know if I should give spoilers, but I love the Mirror Universe. I think it's silly. I think it's quirky. It's one of the best parts about the original series. When it comes back in Deep Space Nine, like, Oh, they yeah, brought it back in this show? They did. In a okay. way that was beautifully done and i watched it with my husband who had never seen any star trek and mm. so everything was a surprise for him right but as a trekkie i loved seeing those nods to area 31 like the the level of oh, like nods the that they had was yeah. beautifully done and right. i if i hadn't been open to accepting a different type of story, I would have missed it. And right. so I wouldn't say that season one of Discovery is my favorite Star Trek, but I could really appreciate it and I really liked the story that it told. Flash forward to season two, I loved it. They brought in Captain Pike, who I, um, Captain Pike was in the, uh, the very the, first the movie, Star Trek, right? actually. Well, yeah. he was in the movie, but I don't know if you know this, but he was in the pilot episode. So Pike was originally in the pilot. So there was Pike and there was number one, who was the female first officer. And I've always liked that. I've always liked number one, and I've always wished that we knew a little more. And I liked that she was a woman, and I liked the pilot episode. It's darker mm -hmm. than we, they ultimately went with went with with Kirk but the cage it's still really good it's a great pilot episode and it's worth watching and they brought back Pike beautifully done by Anson Mount and he sold it became my favorite captain and suddenly season two of Discovery was one of my favorite Star Treks and I'm so glad that I gave it a chance and then I Beyond think the everyone episodes, yeah. yeah and I think everyone else must have felt the same because they did a spinoff with Pike in Strange New Worlds. And Strange New Worlds is perhaps my favorite Star Trek. It is phenomenal. That is high praise. I, I yeah. will say, I loved it. It it felt 
like such a beautiful love letter to the episodic trek that we see in next gen with beautiful new graphics characters you can really get behind the very first episode i want you to watch it so i won't spoil this one okay the very first episode call had one of those those debates and those dilemmas hearkening back to like i said one of my favorite episodes is the dilemmas, measure of a man Omarco, Star Trek. i yeah. love them i love when you have to question these aspects of humanity in under the lens of this sci-fi show and first episode of strange new worlds i finished it i remember i was doing like cosplay or something i was doing body paint while i was watching it and so i couldn't like tap my ipad but i was just sat there and let the credits roll and i was like i love this and so strange new worlds is beautiful it's such a good show. Oh man. Okay. I'll keep the other ones brief because you you're behind on a lot of Trek, but I'll, I'll keep it short. So there are three other Star Trek shows that have come out and there is an upcoming movie that I think you should keep your eye out for. So Star Trek prodigy, if you like clone wars, Star Trek prodigy is like the clone wars of Star Trek. I wasn't sure how I'd feel. I liked Clone Wars, but I also watched it when I was a child. I, my friend and I would watch them whenever we had a snow day. And so it feels like childhood, loved Clone Wars. Wasn't sure this show was kind of geared for younger audiences. I didn't know how well I, it would resonate with me. Captain Janeway has always been one of my favorite captains. And so I should have known that bringing back, bringing back Catherine Janeway, bringing back Kate Mulgrew to play her, I would love it. And I did. It's a very different feel of Star Trek. It feels more like a Clone Wars show, more like, uh, like a, I don't know, like a, it's animated, but it, it has this feel of a coming of age, characters you can really resonate with, but still those same kind of deep probing thoughts that Star Trek is known for. It's a very good show. And I, Kate is as amazing as you would expect, and it's very well done. It is exactly how you would want Janeway to come back if Janeway was to come back in a Star Trek show. And I was very, very well done. Um, and then there's uh, Lower Decks. Amazing. It's, I wasn't sure if I'd like this one either. I'm not like a cartoon comedy person. Like I've never watched South Park. I've never, just I've never seen anything like that. Oh I've my gosh. I've never even heard of this. This sounds like a parody show uh, of Star Trek. Lower Decks is about the Lower Deck crew. It's, you know, we always see the bridge crew. We see the captain. We see sure. the major issues of this ship. This Lower is, Decks These are is, the unsung heroes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happens with everybody else? It's an animated show, and it's so funny. And you can tell every person involved with making the show is in love with Star Trek. It has so many great callbacks so many awesome uh, cameos of Voyager characters, of things that pop up. And it's so many of the people are so nice. So the voice actress that plays, uh, she's the ship computer. Her name's Bonnie. And we were both at a charity event together. And I don't know how I got that. Again, I end up at these events and I'm like, how did I get, I guess I, I appreciate that you think I'm like I'm cool enough to be at this event. So I'm there with her and one of the actors from Enterprise comes over to us, introduces himself as if he needed to. And he's like, oh, I'm Anthony. And I'm like, oh, hi. And he's like, how are you two part of our Star Trek family? And I'm like, how do I even like, and so Bonnie's like, we're both character actresses and I'm the voice of the computer in Prodigy. And I'm like, oh, great. Okay, good. So she's she's the voice of the computer in Prodigy and amazing. 
but uh, certainly back to Lower Decks. Everybody involved, all of the people I've met from it, they're so kind, and it's a great show. They're short episodes too, so I feel like it's consumable. It's hard for me to stay up to date on any show. I'm just not, like, it's hard, you know, with everything else, making contents, but sure. When Lower you're Decks, making it, it's hard to consume a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I feel like Lower Decks is short episodes, easy to consume, hilarious, they're, they're wonderful. So many nods to old Trek, I love it. I left Picard for last because this yeah. is another, this is an interesting one. So it's done. It's done. Season three is the last season. And yeah. um, this is another one where it was darker than I anticipated. And I, when I started watching it, I was in a darker period and I couldn't watch it. It was a little bit, um, I think I think Star Trek is great at handling these heavy themes, and I think it was very well done, but I wasn't in a place to handle the heavy themes. So I needed to take a step away, and it was something that I've come back to slowly over time, and it is a beautiful story, and I think that it is a beautiful love letter to the next generation. The season three is... I, I don't know how they could have gotten it more perfect. I think back to like Next Generation, and I think it was the best finale of a TV show, maybe ever. There's, I think it's old enough I can spoil the ending here. When Picard oh, goes to join, yeah, like yeah. when Picard goes to join the rest of the the crew at the at the poker table, and is there's this humanizing moment, and it was exactly the closure and the ending I wanted. And so I think everything after that, like all of the movies. I don't want to get into whether they're good or bad, but like, you know, that's extra, that's extra, but there was an ending that was good. Somehow season three of Picard had an ending that felt even more perfect. And I think that's rare. You think of like movies like Toy Story where it's like, it's so good. How could the sequel also be good and end well? Like, how do you just keep doing this? It's like lightning in a bottle. Like, how are you pulling it off? And I think season three of Picard pulled it off. It pulled it off beautifully. And I, I had my doubts. But so it was this is like very Toy Story well 2. Done. It actually surpassed the original in some ways. I think I think it did. But I will say, I loved season one and two, but season three is what really was great. I mean, I love time travel. So if you're going to give me time travel and my favorite character, Seven of Nine, like obviously alternate universes, anything like that, like, yeah, I'm all into it. Like I'm the, I'm the target audience for season two. Right. But I think for people who have been away from Star Trek that are maybe looking for that love of the trek that they fell in love with like if you if if next generation is your favorite show then this then just jump in at season three you'll be a little confused for a minute but then Worf will come in just how you want him to and the whole season's beautifully done i was just gonna ask about that tng is probably is probably my favorite all, all things considered um and i want to also uh, thank you so much for this um you can cut it out of the show. episode that was just oh, the, no 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 you almost you're like what's this no, no, no. Last 10 years? <laughs> this is this is the podcast of tangents like i i i love that every humans and magic episode uh becomes like uh splinters into a separate podcast this is actually exactly what i want i'm not cutting anything um but i also okay. want to say well like, that's your midi star trek episode <laughs> <laughs> i also want to say like it's not like I deliberately stepped away from Star Trek. It's not like I decided, oh, you know, I watched this new Star Trek series and it was bad and I stopped. It really wasn't that. Like, I, I, cause as I get older, I kind of realize, like, kind of like touching on what you said, sometimes you're in a certain place in your life where a book or a movie or a show, it touches you and it does or it doesn't. And yeah. if it doesn't, you just come back later and maybe it does. Like, I've had mm -hmm. this happen with lots of books or, 
movies and things like that. And I think I just got occupied with other things in my life for the past decade. It's not like I decided I'm going to stop watching Star Trek. Yeah. It's just like there were other things that pulled me in or life pulled me in. And so I, I feel like I really want to now like just jump right into Picard season three based on what you said. Like maybe you should just skip the first two. Yeah. Like it sounds Come like back I later kinda... if you feel like it. But I think starting in season three, like yeah. it's a it was beautifully done. And the other thing is that I think that oftentimes as fans, and maybe this is also true for like fans of content creators, we have expectations of what a product should be. But I think sometimes you have to respect the showrunners for doing what they want to do. Like, it's not always about like, this show needs to tick off all of James's boxes or all of Anna Margaret's boxes on what Star Trek should be. Like, it's, sometimes it's wonderful for something to be not what you expect but you can still respect the craft of that that show or that person or that creator making the thing that they want. Like, mm -hmm. it's not about making everybody happy. And honestly, I think there's a world where Star Trek could just do the same Star Trek over and over and over again. Like, literally just remake TNG, TOS, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and maybe they'll get an audience for that. But that is also not all that interesting, at least to me. So like you have to take risks as creative risks and there's nothing wrong with that. It's not everything's for everyone, right? Kind of touching on what, what you said maybe about content. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's interesting that you say that with like, you say that with content creation. And I think it's something that every content creation, like creator grapples with. I, I can't think of any time where you're completely insulated to make your own stuff or your own ideas. There's always outside influences, whether it's people commenting on your post saying like, oh, why don't you cosplay this person? Or you look more like this person or ask requesting topics on videos or asking questions that inspires new videos. And I think it, there's definitely a line about trying to make content that your audience resonates with that answers a question that they either have or they didn't know they have yet and like you want to make something that they'll enjoy while also maintain like staying true to yourself and the story you want to tell and yeah and then extending that grace to other creators and fandoms as well it's interesting and i think that that's kind of a, to a light degree why some creators really struggle with like parasocial relationships and the expectations or the ideas that people have of like people feeling like they are your friend because of how much you put yourself online, but you might not know them at all. And so those kind of one-sided relationships to make it difficult to balance and make something because you can't make everybody happy as much as you might want to make everybody happy. It's really hard. It's it's hard. Like I mean, Patrick, when when you meet Patrick Stewart, he knows almost nothing about you, but oh, yeah. you know everything about him. Like, how mm -hmm. do you reconcile that that paranormal relationship, right, from his perspective? So if oh, you have yeah. empathy for him, I think you can also have empathy for for others in the same way. Like they may not know who you are, or they just see um, your posts and they have some idea of who you are, but do they really know who Anna Margaret is? Yeah. I would argue no. Yeah, I, I think it's. I think you have, I think you're right. I think it's tough. Yeah. And I think it's hard too with just the amount of things that are online. And I, 
I do often think that people who stream or have longer form content contents probably encounter it more than people who focus mainly say on photography or shorter form content. I do think that the more that you open yourself up online, the more that people are able to cultivate this image of you in their minds. For sure. But yeah. On that note, Anna, Margaret, it is so nice getting a chance to talk to you today. I feel like this was a really fun conversation. I, I'm glad we checked the, we ticked the Star Trek box. I've been wanting to talk Star Trek <laughs> I mean, I didn't while. tell you about the movie, but you'll have to look it up yourself. <laughs> okay, there is a movie Michelle Yeoh, yeah. Uh, okay. So, um, award-winning actress. Yep. She was, uh, originally it was gonna be like, there were rumors and like, it was announced that there was gonna be a series, an Area 31 series with her. And then when she won the award, everyone was like, oh no, they're gonna cancel it. It's gonna be a movie. And I'm okay. so excited. That's awesome. I'm stoked for Spin that. Spin-off from Discovery. Yes, obviously. Um, <laughs> but uh, actually, I wanted to ask you, what is your favorite Star Trek movie? My favorite Star Trek movie? Yes. I mean, I said that I didn't like, uh, I didn't like uh, the original series. And here I'm going to say the whale episode or like the whale movie. Oh, gosh, I have to look up which number it was. What's the movie where they all, they save the whales? Is it Star Trek? two or four um i'm embarrassed to say i don't know the original series movies very well either. oh not... well it's the star trek movie where they save the whales it's at number four number four okay. number four so the I voyage kinda, home i kind of was... the even numbered star trek movies are better than the odd numbered ones so you all things considered had a pretty good guess although to be honest i actually do really like the uh, the new movies with Chris Pine, the second one, Into Darkness, is phenomenal. I uh, I made I didn't make them, but my friends and I we all watched <laughs> we all watched like Space Seed, Wrath of Khan, and then we saw Into Darkness, and so it was a fun it was a fun day of like watching the episode, watching the first movie, watching the new movie, and so that one that one I think I associate fond memories with as well. But I think The Voyage Home. The Voyage Home is my favorite right. star trek movie that which is different than show i think i think for me it's gonna have to still be first contact oh and, first contact uh, and that's why i want to watch picard season three so. okay let me know what you think <laughs> when you watch it I, I it's interesting it's interesting because i guess growing up i would always assume that people involved in star trek must have loved star trek and it's been kind of it's kind of funny to hear getting older that so many actors that were in Star Trek aren't Star Trek fans. They didn't even watch the own, like, the own stuff that they were in. And it's kind of, it's funny to hear that. But I do think a lot of the people involved do love it too. And that's fun to hear as well. Like kind of what, you know, what people are into or what people like. And, right on. And all that, so... all that nonsense. And it was funny. I, I got to interview Rod Roddenberry. Basically, I was just in the right place at the right time, had made wow. friends with his date to a party. We ended up in an elevator and a podcast that I was friends with were like, well, do you want to be on our podcast? And then I got to do the interview for the, it was so much fun, but it was wild talking to him. You know, this is his, you know, his, like his family's legacy and he he does love star trek but hearing how he's just a super nerd for other series was so cool i'm like okay that's great everybody's gonna resonate with different forms of content and it's true for content curation as well like not everyone's gonna resonate with your content but there's gonna be people that do 
And I think that you gotta, you gotta make content for yourself. <laughs> Cause at least if you on. like your content, that's one person and my husband, I make content for him. If he likes it, then there's at least two of us. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Anna and Margaret, thank you so much for your time today and uh, have a blessed or great rest of the year. I will. Thank you. You as well. <laughs>